0: Edward Salma. Doc
1: says I have to quit baseball. Why? Some mistakes I guess we never stop paying for. The girl on the train? Yes. Everyone thought he would murder you. Have you ever met Homer? I didn't see it coming. Homer? How could you possibly know she'd hurt you? How could anyone? It could have been the best in the game. You're so good now. <laughs> I could
0: have been better could have broke every record in the book. And then? And then when I walked down the street, people would have looked and they would have said, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was in this game. I believe we have two lives, the life we learn with, and the life we live with after that.
1: Go pick me out a winner, Bobby.
0: reel is finished. The house lights are up. It's time to examine The Natural as the final part of our ongoing series about benchwarmers elevated to greatness. This is Fields of Glory, and I'm Biggs.
1: And I am Aaron. And Biggs, the best thing I can say about The Natural, as far as this project is concerned, is that it is better than Kingpin. At least, I thought it was better than Kingpin. And then I thought to myself, Kingpin doesn't take itself seriously, though. And this movie takes itself seriously. And to me, that could be a reason that I would put Kingpin in front of this movie. That is where... Where it is at, And if anyone is listening to this show, they know that I didn't like Kingpin very much. I appreciate this is supposed to be like Sword and the Stone and the Odyssey and all that. It is like Medusa, man. <laughs> and this is like, who, by the way, is a grade A badass, but not so much in the ways that she is remembered in terms of the legacies of women in popular media. God, this is a frustrating movie. I And you know this, and you said this before we hit record, you're like, Aaron probably wasn't going to like this movie very much. And here I am being grumpy about it for all the predictable reasons. Tell me your thoughts on The Natural because you do have a lot of really good things to say and I don't think that they'll be fragile. I think that there'll be production and things and storytelling and I do feel like this movie is doing some of those things well because the famous scenes are famous.
0: I'll get into a lot of that when we talk about themes but right now I just want to say I watched this movie a couple of times when I was a kid and I knew every beat of it but I didn't like it as a kid. I thought it was slow except for the end scene I thought was electric. I guess the reason why it resonated with me so hard right now is that we live in an era of Marvel movies. And I love Marvel movies, so don't get me wrong. But I sit there and I watch something like this and it's talking about something simple like mythology. But it feels like it's put together in an intelligent way to me. And there's things to think about and things to pull apart and really explore. I really liked Any Given Sunday and I suspected it might have been the best movie that we were going to watch for this block. But I would make a case for it actually being the next Natural now it just really really resonated with me and maybe it's just because i'm hitting middle age (laughs) well you're
1: not alone it's a famous classic movie and everything i could find everyone talking about it is
0: saying a lot of the same things you are i know there's problematic things and of course that's part of the show is like really diving into it and dissecting it i mean it's pulling from old mythology which essentially means it's going to be misogynistic i just thought it was a really well-made movie that was thoughtful in a way that we don't see in big budget fare anymore.
1: One of the problems I have is we don't see the choices. We miss the part of the movie that I want. We miss the whole middle. This movie shows us he was great once and he's great at the end and um, he was always great. And I've got a big bone to pick with the fact that I feel like baseball is hard and it should be harder for old Hobbs here. But everything you said about myth, everything you said about all those forms of storytelling and the beauty of the movie and all of that, this movie made me think of A River Runs Through It.
0: Interesting because I hate that movie.
1: See? And I think we could say all of the same things that I'm that we're going to say about this movie about that movie, because they're contemporaries in a lot of ways. But the one thing that I love about that movie is that, you know, for the sake of people that grew up in a place and do the thing, I feel like if you love the mythology of fishing and family, the intersection there is what that movie is about. And The Natural gives us this guy struck out the whammer, shot by a lady, boo! Disappears for 16 years, comes back is still good, is in the minors, is being handed up because they're trying to screw the team, I guess, is what it seems to be. That's the phone call there. We got a little Major League wrinkle here where they're trying to tank the team on purpose from the top. And that's why he's brought in.
0: Yeah, make no mistake. This influenced Major League, not the other way around.
1: This movie influenced so many movies. One of the hard parts about being the critic, it's like I'm trying to own it, is that I get put in a box of, well, Aaron's going to say the criticism stuff and He's not going to like the movie. One of the things I love about Any Given Sunday is that it is taking a shot at the entire gaze that it is replicating. And this movie is not doing that. The beautiful moments where he's running and the crowd is lit up behind him and it is so beautiful. I thought immediately of Any Given Sunday and the way that the white audience was illuminated from the field and the fact that there are zero black people in this movie. And everyone's like, he could have been the best there ever was. And I'm like, he's not swinging on Satchel paper Though is he like he's not (laughs) like come on
0: like this whole form of storytelling to me is rank. They picked the hundredth year of baseball to put this into because it's significant. And I would say that there's still black people on the margins that aren't represented. They're just completely absent from this movie, and that is a form of white supremacy,
1: a nefarious one. That when everyone says feels good, then it replicates it.
0: To be clear, just feel good at the final scene. Right. I recognize all of this. And yet it's an amazing piece of writing. It's like you said, propaganda. It tastes good. The,
1: I say the reason propaganda works is because it is delicious. Yeah. The natural has zero criticality in it. None. in bring it on. You cannot miss the crit because they literally shout it to you at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> The gaze is screwing everything up and it's literally replicating that gaze we said because of how it's shot and i feel like i am a big fan of a movie that fails when it comes to gaze replication because that is what hollywood is built to do and that is structurally it's the same people telling the stories i feel like but if we have that little angle of a crit then it's a little better and we're spending too much time in this on the top when it starts with the boy playing baseball with his dad in the the grass field and then this guy going to strike out the whammer i'm like this movie could be really good. Up until that point, literally until the dude gets shot, I'm willing to overlook the fact that Robert Redford is way too old to be calling people Mr. Hey, Mr.
0: Hey. <laughs> okay, I want to ask so you me. a funny question first off. And I don't want you to look this up. I just want you to answer. How old do you think Robert Redford is in this movie? Keep in mind, he's playing a 19-year-old and a 35-year-old.
1: Before I looked anything up, I told Kate, the dude is in his 40s. and <laughs>
0: He's playing a teenager. Am I, am I right? Let's put a number to it. What do you think? Six. 46. 48. Okay. How old do you think Wilford Brimley is? 32. <laughs> no, for real. How how old do you think Wilford Brimley is? Wilford Brimley, in my
1: generation's eyes, permanently looks like 67, 65.
0: Yes, he does. Yeah. He was born 65, for sure.
1: Uh-huh. So he's how old in this movie? 49. Yeah. <laughs>
0: is one year older than robert redford and they could not look more different
1: that's why he looks at him the way he does throughout this movie that's what he's really bitter <laughs> about um,
0: you no know, red mama urged me to get out of this game when i was a kid she pleaded with me now look at Brad Pitt
1: looks so much like Robert Redford in this movie. There are so many moments where Robert Redford makes these little aw shucks apologetic things where I see like why people have made this comparison and to be honest this is one of the first Robert Redford movies that I've ever actually watched. He came on the screen and I started watching this guy I'm like I see why everybody loves him I see why he's generational. I found a fascinating article that we're not going to spend any more time talking about than this uh, which I did read that's really good. It's by Julie Labalzo Wright. The All American Golden Boy, Robert Redford, Blonde Hair and Masculinity in Hollywood. She talks about how Robert Redford is one of the few blonde male leads in Hollywood, how blondness does not perform the same idealization for masculinity that it does for femininity. This is because of generations of sexualizing women and the bimbo trope that we've talked about, which emerges later. But the point that she's making is that Robert Redford makes a career for himself in being this kind of golden boy. And I see it in this movie. I can see that
0: in, in all of its glory. But he's flat, isn't he? Doesn't he feel kind of flat? Does he have a big emotional arc? It's knowing the acting styles and the schools they come from. Like, he breaks out in the 70s. He is a 70s guy. He's a good-looking 70s guy, but it's also a time when movies are looking inward and they're trying to portray that on screen. Now, you're also talking about a person who was regularly directing films and decided to not direct this because he was starting Sundance. And so, when you talk about the legacy of Robert Redford, we still look at him as a movie star because he's still alive but when you talk like 20 years from now all anybody's gonna remember about him is that he started Sundance I mean he really 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 has carried the torch for independent cinema and before we get to it because we always hit this at some point you're gonna talk about the box office numbers this rejuvenated sports movies but when you look at it it didn't double its budget and traditionally we would talk about how that's a failure this is an independent film which means they didn't do this mass marketing that a lot of the big companies did and so what happened was he made his money back, and he made enough money to make two more movies. That's an absolute success for him, and he was able to fund Sundance using this as well.
1: I read it was the first TriStar Picture film made, and the second one released. And they were worried it was a sports movie, so they released it second. And it did five million for you know your first picture ever as a studio. This blew my mind. The TriStar Pictures logo of the triangle with the horse jumping over it. People will know it by the sound. But as, as a kid growing up, like seeing that, that's up there with like <laughs> – and- <laughs> You know, 20th Century Fox is running laps around TriStar Pictures. There are they're they're a juggernaut on the scene, and TriStar is like, we have a sports movie. (laughs) That you know speaks to the the real argument you're making, which is that Redford he gave gravitas to studios that didn't have it in the first place, and that's kind of a big part of his career. You know, this movie launched a studio that that did a lot of films that you know the generation watched, and spending 28 million and opening on five million that's not good. But the worldwide gross was 47.9 and Biggs's point is like that's not a success but if you're TriStar Pictures your money has come back. We spent 5 million that we definitely did not have
0: when we started this movie. That's not a success <laughs> in the traditional yeah. terms that we talk about. When you actually look at the conditions in which this was released, that's a home run. 20th
1: Century Fox looks at these numbers and they're like never again. This is a waste of our money. And TriStar Pictures at the
0: time is like we are
1: here. Let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's get to the tale of the tape. Roy Hobbs is a child playing baseball with his father who tells him that he's a natural, but it's not enough. His father dies of a heart attack next to a tree which is struck by lightning. Roy makes his bat Wonderboy from the wood of the trunk and burns a lightning bolt onto it. At age 19, he has a tender night with his girlfriend Iris and then travels towards Chicago for a tryout with the Cubs. He meets legendary baseball player The Whammer, sports writer Max Mercy, and a woman in black named Harriet Bird. They stop at a carnival and a bet is made whether Hobbs can strike out the whammer with three pitches. To everyone's amazement, Hobbs does. Where he meets back up with Bird and avoids answering when she asks if he has a girlfriend. She invites him to her hotel room and asks if he's really the best that ever was. Hobbs said yes, and she shoots him and then commits suicide. Everyone's like, she's going around killing the best ever. And I'm like, wah. Hobbs is a rookie with the New York Knights 16 years later. The manager, Pop Fisher, is angry that a 35-year-old was signed. He suspects that the judge is trying to fall short of winning the pennant to avoid Fisher's minority ownership stake. At the train station, he's like, what are we doing now, mister? And I'm like, weird. This is so weird. Weeks later, Hobbs is hitting home run after home run in batting practice with Wonderboy. Fisher has the bat, weighed to make sure it's of legal specifications. Later, he throws Hobbs into a game as a pinch hitter and tells him to knock the cover off the ball. That is literally what he does. The bat boy, Bobby Savoy, admires Wonderboy. Roy says he'll help him make his own bat. Hobbs becomes an instant sensation, and the Knights hit a winning streak. The judge offers Roy $5,000 to tank. He refuses. Meanwhile, Mercy can't figure out where he's seen Hobbs. He suddenly remembers him and takes Hobbs to dinner with a bookie named Gus Sands and Fisher's niece, Memo Paris, who is dating his teammate Bump. The next game, Bump dies, crashing through a wall. Memo and Hobbs start dating, and Fisher warns him that she's a jinx. Hobbs plays poorly and the Knights fall into a slump. Finally at the game, Hobbs sees Iris dressed in white. He knocks the ball through the scoreboard clock. He takes her to a diner and she tells him that she has a teenage son whose father lives in Glenn Close is
1: amazing in this movie. She deserves better. Industry is like, let's give her some amazing
0: roles, and, and thank goodness for it. She turned down a Ivory Merchant movie for this movie because she liked the script so much. This was her first Oscar nomination. She's so captivating.
1: Like, she sits there and listens a lot in this movie, but like even then, I'm like Glenn Close is so just nuanced in the way that she
0: Yeah, does it. acting is so much more than the lines you deliver. The night search back into first place until Hobbs collapses at a party. He has. A silver bullet that remained in his stomach since being shot by Bird. The doctor warns him that he could die if he continues playing baseball. The Knights lose three straight, and Hobbs decides to play in the one-game playoff against the Pirates. Don't you know how I hate losing to the Pirates? The judge offers him a bigger bribe to lose a game. He also threatens to release a story about his night with Bird to the press. That's what makes him think
1: about it. It's not the money that makes him think about throwing the game. It's the risk to his reputation. Am I right about that?
0: I think in this movie he never thinks about it. I just. Think think he's lamenting that he feels like he's never going to overcome this mistake that he made. I got the vibe that he was thinking
1: about it. At least I listened to a little bit of the Cinephile podcast uh, and they were talking about it and they came away thinking that he was thinking about it. I might have read it wrong. It's unstated. I mean, that's the point. It's not explicit. I don't know that the movie tells us either way, but it seems to me like when they show him the picture and say it's the risk to his reputation, that seems to be the ante that he can't or the, the bet that he can't or
0: And in the book which is different than the movie and i'm hoping this is the only time we really talk about the book they go a different route which is they they go throughout the book to explicitly say that he is filled with hubris but you do not see signs that he's learning and then the last line of the book is i've learned nothing at all because like he throws the game it sounds amazing
1: to me it sounds like a way better story than this movie frankly highly
0: (laughs) more sexist from everything i read not just the article you sent me but yeah
1: and another couple things i read said that it was written in a way that's just impossible to read because it's like full of itself and I bet that's all true. I'm just saying, deep down I think Will Hobbsy is a total dillhammer and the book seems to vindicate this, so <laughs>
0: Bird tries to get him to walk away, eventually pulling a gun on him. He persists and meets with Iris, saying that he'll never live the incident down. She says we live two lives, the life we learn with, and the life after that. Hobbs struggles in the big game and Iris sends him a note that she came with her son, and he's the father. The knights trail in the ninth and Roy comes up to bat. He splinters Wonderboy with a foul ball. He tells the bat boy, pick me a winner, Bobby. He returns with the Savoy special, which he made himself. Hobbs, now bleeding from his side, smacks the ball into the lights. Sparks shower the team as they win. In the big game. At the close of the movie, we see Hobbs playing catch with his son. Hobbs' hubris and humility hobbles life until luminous lady looms. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the mythology. We've talked about this a lot. So I'm going to start with the baseball stuff, what it's pulling from real life and mythologizing. So you've got the whammer, which is Babe Ruth, right? Like I think anybody who knows anything about baseball is going to look at the whammer and realize immediately that that character is clearly Babe Ruth. Hobbs. He is clearly an analog in some ways to Babe Ruth too, right? Really good pitcher, then just doesn't pitch and becomes this amazing batter. I
1: saw that as them just saying he has everything. He has everything, which Babe Ruth did kind of have, right? That's why I feel like that comparative is so apt is because they don't show it in this movie, but yeah, Ruth could famously pitch. And I love the whammer. I love the name, the whammer. I love the whammer on the train. When he goes to pitch against the whammer, the overhead shot looking from behind, him. I wrote, they are so close. And that is what I think to myself every single time I see a pitcher and a hitter staring each other down in baseball because 60 feet, whatever it is, it's just
0: not that far. Ben. <laughs> Holy cow. So Hobbs getting shot. That is an allusion to Eddie Wacus, who is gunned down by a stalker. This lady became obsessed with him. And when he got traded to another team, she pretended to be a friend of his from high school. And then when he came to the room, took a shotgun and shot him to the the chest and he survived but it really really messed up his life after that and he did come back to baseball eventually they said he'd never be able to play again but he was able to
1: you know baseball has so many wild moments famously the guy pitched a perfect game while on acid during the time when i was pitching the no hitter in san diego i really didn't know i didn't see the hitters all i could tell was if they was on the right side or the left side The opposing team and my teammates, they knew I was high, but they didn't know what I was high on.
0: They didn't really see it, but I had the acid in me, and I didn't know what I looked like with that acid
1: just need that movie badly i need that she movie can't. so bad. i need the right person i need wes anderson to
0: make this baseball movie oh wes anderson would <laughs> never make a sports movie this is what to. on that one though <laughs> they didn't really see it but i had the acid in me and i didn't know what i looked like with that acid i had lost all concept of
1: time. He could maybe make that one. I'm just saying. Why not just make the whole movie an acid trip through a perfect game of baseball? That sounds like fun. It's not the fact that it never did happen. It's the way that the story tells it. It turns her into someone going around killing the best that there ever was. Yeah,
0: right. It's mythologizing it. It's it's making it something bigger than it actually was. Have you ever read Homer? That's exactly what this movie is intending to do. But it is doing it on a redundant trope of misogyny,
1: right? You could have your femme fatale piece with just the story itself, but she's got to be a serial killer killing the best that there ever was. Those are two huge steps that I'm like, why? And
0: it is never explained. I want her movie. I want her movie. (laughs) Uh, So Shoeless Joe Jackson was paid to lose the World Series with the White Sox and he had a bat that he always used called Black Betsy. So they borrow elements from that. Uh, Rodney McRae, who was constantly hurting himself, hitting the outfielder wall and then eventually crashed through it. So that's a highlight that still shows up on baseball from time to time. He did not die. That's where they make it bigger.
1: It was like this one moment where I'm like, is this a cynical movie? And then it was like, oh, anyway,
0: back to the sap. <laughs> like, no, never mind. I don't think it's cynical. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to talk about the actual mythology so that when we talk forward, we can actually understand what it is that they're pulling from. So the Fisher King of Arthurian legend. So the man who holds the grail has injured hands. And if the knight Percival can heal the Fisher King, he can heal his lands, the wastelands, which are also suffering. So in this movie, the manager Pop Fisher has injured his hand which he attributes to athlete's foot the grass is dying the attendance is sparse hobbs gets his first hit bringing three days of rain which replenishes the grass they start winning bringing the crowds back
1: willie beeman made it rain too but that was different
0: More Arthurian legend says that when Arthur extracted the sword from the stone, he became the rightful king. Years later, it was broken in combat. That is when he got Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake.
1: Sorry, but strange women laying around in ponds distributing swords is just no basis for a system of government, and it's not a way to build your roster. I waited all week to make that joke.
0: (laughs) Hobbs creates Wonderboy after a tree is struck by lightning, defeats the best baseball player, the Whammer. Later, the bat is destroyed and replaced by the Savoy special.
1: That he made with the little kid, right? That's the whole thing there is him and the yes. little boy. Okay, so he's got two kids in this movie. Glenn Close's kid that he plays baseball with at the end and this kid that he makes the bat with. Neither of which is like his kid, but...
0: I think the bat boy is more important to the story because the bat boy oh, yeah. shows that Hobbs is developing humility and he's trying to appreciate the people around him. Okay, so in the Odyssey, Odysseus angers Poison for not being humble enough to thank him after the 10-year long Trojan War. He is thrown into trial after trial. 10 years is punished. Punishment to teach him humility. One trial is a Cyclops who consumes many of his crew. Another is the sirens who take Odysseus off course by reeling him in with their song. The natural not only references the story when Bird asks if he knows about Homer, but it borrows elements. Hobbs has cheated on his love and he wants people to say he's the best ever, showing hubris. Bird shoots him and sets him off his baseball course for 16 years. He runs into the gambler who says he has a magic eye, covering one of them when he's talking about it. He has also been paying players to take a dive, so he's destroying the players on the team one by one immediately after roy meets memo who distracts him from his goal that's a lot like the sirens but roy overcomes both he has been humbled he uses the gifts he has but he also learns to show respect to the people that matter the beginning of the movie he's not respecting his girlfriend when he goes off he cheats on her acts as if she doesn't exist and we don't know what happened on this journey but that's kind of not the point the point is that during this journey he was humbled and now he's facing the trials i think that the woman at the beginning is a stand in for the gods because his father tells him you're a natural but it's not enough when that tree gets struck by lightning and he gets wonder boy this is essentially a gift he needs to be worthy of the gift and he's not worthy of the gift she shoots him takes it away and then he goes through trials to try and show that he is worthy of this gift and part of showing that he's worthy of the gift is not taking the easy money right he's part of a gambling thing against a whammer he should have just said no he wasn't comfortable with the gambling but he did it anyway way anyway, he runs off with a woman cheating on somebody he's taking his gift for granted and just wanting to be the best and not thinking about what it means to be a good person while you're on the way to being the best memo kind of short for memory right like she remembers him she thinks when they're in the hotel room and it's because once again she is like the god which takes many many forms and so she's tempting him again when it doesn't quite work she like points a gun at him but he just takes it from her and says i do remember you. In other words, like he remembers what happened and he is corrected how he is going through his life. So I know you have a lot to say. I unleash you.
1: <laughs> I don't. I appreciate all of that. There's a jump cut article by Rob Silberman, The Natural Mr. Smith Goes to the Ballpark. He says, only a heart of stone would find the natural unappealing, but only a mind of mush could fail to the regard of the film upon consideration, is hokey at best and dangerous at worst. And part of me is like, damn. Damn, that's a burn. I mean, it is hokey. Wonder Boy is hokey. The three pitch whammer moment is quintessential baseball hokiness. It's smart when you know the way the stories are written, and this article too is tracing a lot of the myths that you're talking about. A few other ones, excluding most of what you just said, a- and I see that Kate and I finally, because the grandparents are here, first night together in too long, got to see everything everywhere all at once, and that movie is doing the exact same thing. In brilliant, mind-blowing ways It reminds me of this poster With every idiom on it at once Like Jack be nimble, Jack be quick Jumping over the candlestick There's a cow jumping over a moon There's literally every idiom you've ever heard Is on this poster and it is absurd Everything, everywhere, all at once Is famously trying to do exactly that In a multiverse extravaganza of nonsense Rakakuni is my hero
0: (laughs) Rakakuni's so good God, it's so smart, Pigs
1: But... (laughs) (laughs) Because he's driving the person and then the person... Is, or anyway. Um
0: And the, and this... By the way, this is part of what I'm talking about with the marvelization of things. Yeah. Is that like this movie is made by A24, this independent thing, and A24 yeah. breaks out by having a lot of things into Sundance. That's kind yeah. of my point with Redford. Where yeah, his legacy really should be is like giving the power back to filmmakers to be able to make things like that that make you think, that make you feel.
1: It's so incredible. And if you haven't seen it dear listener, find the time. Don't be distracted. Watch it. You will think thoughts. That's for sure. (laughs) You'll wonder about hot dogs. The problem with the natural is that it is mostly with the kind of selection and orientation where I don't see the growth that you see. I do think it is safe to say that he gambles on the whammer thing and kind of regrets it because it's too much money, but I don't know that he ever regrets it. I think that he doesn't like being told he can't do it, and he's like, I can do it. And I'm not afraid of you. And it, it was a David versus Goliath moment more than a person who went the wrong way and made the wrong choice. Or at the very least, it's both.
0: But I, I just disagree with you there because like he is not comfortable with the gambling and he says that.
1: He just says he literally says, Mr. It's a lot of money. Are you OK with it? You come by that money hard is what he says.
0: Right. But that's my point. There's somebody who's taking him to this tryout and he's already putting him into a sketchy situation and he just goes
1: I don't know. I don't know that it's that sketchy of a situation. I think it's pretty reasonable that if the greatest guy ever is talking trash to your pitcher, you could put a little money on the table to see if he would take a couple pitches. Is gambling legal there? You know, like whether it's legal or illegal is kind of beside the point for like the moral tale.
0: It's part of the point. Like you bring in money. Oh, come on,
1: man. Bootlegging is like glorified in our country forever and gambling is right there with it.
0: (laughs) You bring in money into sports. It complicates everything and makes stuff. Of course it does. But the legacy
1: is far more complex than if he was throwing the game at the beginning and he did that, that would be a major moral failure that would have to be overcome. His dad says your ability isn't good enough. You have to work for it. If he goes up there, one pitches the whammer and the whammer whams the ball because that is what he does for a living, then that would have been the moral failure. The moral failure that I see, he sleeps with a lady and yeah, maybe she's married or whatever. We get that whole point. He's got Iris back at home and he doesn't talk about her and they kiss in the flickering light between morality and immorality. Somebody wrote and I think you got me thinking when it comes to the lights and how they work in this movie. Yeah,
0: I, t- I talked about how dark and light, like this is very much binary in the way that they're showing everything. Like all the characters who are ill intent are in the shadows. They're wearing black. When Hobbes is making a bad decision, he's wearing black somewhere on I him. think it is that this is a good
1: example because it's the black and white light legacies of binarism that to me are kind of part of the problem with men and women, with the hero and everyone else. I don't see a complex Robert Redford. I see a guy who was great then, who's great now, who was overlooked then, who's overlooked now, who had a girl then, who has a girl now, who got shot by a lady that he maybe shouldn't have kissed.
0: It is about his humility. It's not about his ability to play. We are so used to in sports movies, watching people... People level up, level up, level up. This movie is not interested in that. It doesn't care about that. It's not the point of it.
1: Is the lesson that Robert Redford should not want to be the best there ever was? Is that the lesson?
0: No, it's because he's only interested in being the best that ever was. And he's not thinking about the things around him. He's not thinking about how he's gambling or or like being complicit in it. He's not thinking about hurting people back home. And that's what his father was trying to tell him. You don't realize that at the beginning of the movie, but when you go through, it's not enough to have this talent because like, you have to be a humble human being on top of it.
1: This is really cool because I feel like this is very similar to one of the big threads in Any Given Sunday. This is the line that Al Pacino is giving Willie Beeman at the dinner, whereas Any Given Sunday succeeds in predictable ways that I would say are historically anti-black at being like he's too full of himself and he needs to focus on this. This movie for me, I didn't see, and maybe I'm just missing the point and maybe I'm bad at watching movies. And I own all of that. But I saw a guy who wanted nothing. He wanted nothing except to be seen as great at what he did. And that is seen as humble. He doesn't want to win a big game. He doesn't want to be a champion. He doesn't want to make money. He just wants people to respect him when he walks down the street. I want people to look at me and say, there goes the greatest that ever was. And I don't see that as a failure at any point in the movie. At the end, when when Glenn Close asks him the same question, she almost says, is that all? And before the woman is like, is that all? There's nothing more glorious and that's the temptation out there and he's like no I reject that glory I just want to be the best there. I just want people to respect me and so that's how I saw him rejecting that from the very beginning and at the end when she's like you know why and he's like well I wanted people to look at me and, and say there goes the greatest I don't feel like he's learned anything at that point I feel like he's he's like I literally was the greatest ever and I never got my chance because I got shot by a lady
0: <laughs> I, if I'm being honest I think you're bringing a perspective to it that's just not in the movie very that, possible like, I don't think think he's going in there with the chip on his shoulder. Only thing he wanted was to walk down the street and have people say, there's the greatest player that ever was. That's uh-huh. all he wants. That's all he's working towards. It is almost like a psychopath. Yeah. If you just make that like, I only want to be the greatest and like you murder people to get there or whatever, then we see it very plainly because it's a movie and movies tend to go big. But this is not going big. This is going small. It's going real small. Where it's going big is on how glorious this guy is. Is. Yes. It's going big on
1: he can strike out the whammer. It's going big on and he, the tree got struck by lightning and he made the
0: bat himself and. But we don't see the hard work, the perseverance. We don't see him farm. The point is that like, he doesn't have to do hard work to be that good. It's about being humble.
1: My point is the movie is making him one-dimensional from the very beginning. I never see any arrogance. I never see the point where he turns the corner. At the end of the movie, he hits the ball again when he's supposed to. And it's because he decides to be a better dad to Glenn Close's kid or that Glenn Close's kid is there watching
0: him. So. So as we said that Bird and Memo are basically a god who's like putting him through these trials Yeah, Glenn Close's character is also a god who's helping him through these trials
1: These are the fates?
0: Yeah it is literally everybody in this is an archetype
1: It's the selection of the archetypes and the contours of the archetypes and the histories of these selections and contours to me that makes this movie far less critical than what I'm hearing from you.
0: I agree with you on that front. I just think you're missing the subtle things in this movie because when you have these giant things happening it's really easy to miss the little subtle things that are buried in the movie but they're there.
1: I feel like the reason it's hard to see is because it really barely is there. It really barely 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 is there as you're saying. That makes the movie itself a feel good movie and there's no black people in it and women are sidelined and women are fatal. As soon as he kissed Memo it cut to a a montage of them failing again and Redford literally fell down and I just heard Mickey in my mind say women make your legs weak and I'm like oh now he's got those weak legs and it's like maybe memo is a fate and maybe all of these people are fates and that makes it not okay you're not saying it's okay but that gives it contour as to why the story is being told that way but it is literally the same argument
0: (laughs) these are all criticisms I do welcome I'm just when we're talking about the story this is where we battle the most often because I think I see story differently than you do but I think everything you just said is true like I agree with you implicitly and I think that these archetypes are problematic. I am not trying to bury the lead on that, which is why for standpoint, we've got imperfect man with perfect bat strives for perfection. Let's talk about this in a little more depth about a lot of the standpoint stuff that you're seeing. I would say
1: the title should be perfect man with perfect bat strives for perfection because that's what I saw from the beginning. And I think that's echoing the prior conversation.
0: (laughs) I see an imperfect human being who's a perfect ball player.
1: If he's imperfect, it's because he's too old to be a teenager.
0: (laughs) Maybe the difference with this was like, I grew up not liking Michael Jordan. (laughs) I did not see a perfect human being. I saw a sociopath who was a perfect basketball player. Let me put it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to say something about this movie that I think is important. This movie is doing something a lot of sports movies do and definitely a lot of baseball movies do. It's doing a lot of nostalgia in really, really meaningful ways. And I felt like the Any Given Sunday conversation lamenting all of the outside forces that are coming to play on the game. It's like there's a place where this game is as simple as a batter and a pitcher in a field or a dad and his kid in the field and then all of these other forces come in on the game and ultimately make it very, very difficult for someone who's incredible at the game to be seen for what he is. And I feel like it's that old school versus new school, this old fashioned white guy who was so good and just wanted Wants to be seen as good as not being seen in the 1980s. It feels like it's really pining for a very specific kind of sportsman. And in there somewhere is a guy who learns not to be too full of himself, I suppose. And and, and you're seeing it really well. And I'm I'm being sarcastic about it, but not really well. You're seeing it in hindsight with storytelling training, you've said. But I don't know. The one move I appreciated, the one thing I thought was really beautiful that this movie did was when it smashed the lights out.
0: It's lights out for the pirates. Hobbs cinches game with home in the night
1: this this to me was interesting that you know the lights out metaphor is an interesting one baseball is old baseball goes back to the Civil War and I always say Abraham Lincoln definitely saw a, tele- a telegram dude never saw a light bulb in his life it's so neat that one of the things in an otherwise I feel like sappy 80s white supremacist toxic masculine backwards look at baseball that we get about nostalgia is when he blows those lights out because the night game did not exist it, you could not play baseball at night And then you could. And it was around the 1930s where this happened. In 1935, Larry
0: McPhail was the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds, a bombastic but determined figure with an idea that most other baseball executives considered to be a giant risk. Playing baseball at night? under bright artificial lights
1: and it changes the culture of the game fundamentally a lot of people back then thought that it would take something away from this this game that we knew growing up from there growing up from the 1800s this this lovely pastoral outdoor sunshiny game but because baseball is such a tradition bound sport you had that pushback and that
0: resistance
1: into a spectacle it was always a spectacle but it was a spectacle at random moments and the more night games there are the insiders will tell you the more it's being packaged for the public and packaged for radio and packaged for television because that's when everyone's around to watch and changes the game completely and I'm not going to say it was better before and worse after I'm just going to say to me that's one of those very fascinating moments where a sport changed completely just because of something that got added to it and this guy just blows the lights out at that. And, and him running around the bases and the lights going off and the fireworks. That's the most famous scene from the movie. I'd seen it a hundred times as a kid when it comes to like, these are the movies you love kind of vignettes. And I'd always wondered what it was about. And when you put that history to it, I really love it.
0: What happens after he hits the first foul, right? Like it goes off, it hits the press box where the writer is. Yeah. Who's like trying to make the game exciting, but doesn't necessarily seem to love baseball or have ever played baseball, right?
1: Little Robert Duvall there. Look at him go
0: criticism on the media right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The media is terrible.
0: Surprise,
1: surprise, surprise.
0: <laughs> second foul ball. He hits it out. So before he like hits that second foul ball, he's got blood coming out. Yeah. Well, we got to do a
1: whole cut of this movie if this guy's a veteran, because when he says he's going to go play baseball and she's like, they're they're swinging around in the field and he's like, I got called up. God, that felt like a war movie, man. And then the guy gets shot. And now I'm just like, hmm. I miss that part, Biggs. <laughs> but he's just gutting it out out there, isn't he? Yep. Because he's got that that Reebok uh, deal that's worth a million dollars if he can hit another
0: home. <laughs> See, the if thing. that were He the case. doesn't have that. That's the point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's being paid like peace rate. He's not even pay- being paid a salary. And his point is, I like money as much as anybody. But that's not what it's about. And I just like, miss Missed the blood part, though. And the fact that he's a wounded veteran and women are the war. Hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. now that's a fair comment i'm gonna let you get away with that because that's look actually at what fair standpoint
1: lets us do bigs look at it go <laughs>
0: you brought the point up <laughs> so then he smashes the next foul ball after yeah. he's bleeding and wonder boy is shattered yes. right but what happens right before he sees the bat lightning cutting through the dark the same thing that hits when his father dies who's right. giving him guidance the same thing that falls the tree that he makes the bat from like it's this light coming out of the darkness and like what's going to happen because now the gods have taken his tool away from it
1: right you're on your own now yep it's kind of what i thought i always thought the lightning was dad maybe i, I read that sure, too sure you too, can read it yeah, that way okay
0: I, either way it's the same effect right like his talisman is gone and then this is where some humility comes in Because kid makes his own bat and he's using the kid's bat he's not using his own bat and he literally says pick me a winner bobby yeah he is leaving it up to the kid to make a decision for him
1: well the kid knows the bats corked so he knows it's a winner
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it would have had to have been Wade because they made it together bigs like they (laughs) that's their code for like pick me the winner Bobby Like It's raining and everything, right? Like He hits, it knocks the lights, and then you get that shower of sparks. It lights up. You've got the judge who is always dressed in black, sits in the shadows, never in the light. He is lit up by this. You've got the sparks. And I mean, honestly, dude, just beautiful when those sparks fall on the players when they're all celebrating.
1: I really appreciated the explosive illumination, the bright white Blast as the light goes and the way it lit up the whole crowd. It looked like a rocket's red glare kind of war moment of a big concussive explosion that lights up the background and the foreground at different speeds. Him turning the lights on on the judge right away, like that, that really emphasizes the illumination. He wants the things to be out in the open. He doesn't want things to be done in shady back deals. And I just gotta say, Robert Prosky shows up second time for the show in the same batch. He's Father Kavanaugh in. Rudy and one of the things Charles and I love to do is just be like so that means these movies are related somehow this guy like has his eyes opened by old Hobsey and decides to go into the church and <laughs> becomes a priest at Notre Dame
0: which is why when he sees Rudy he knows he's got it in him <laughs> and he tells him to try to get good grades <laughs> well we've also got another twofer we got Randy Newman one of his first scores he's ever done is doing this and it sounds like this It's why you get Randy Newman doing a lead song in Major League. Honestly, you're already associating him with a big baseball movie. Like, I think that's a slam dunk, you know? I loved
1: this note from you, Biggs, and it is so fascinating to me because, you know, I was talking to Kate about the Cuyahoga River song again. My parents are in town. We're listening to it uh, to talk about Cleveland and how many times the river caught fire. And uh, we play the song. Sounds like this. There's a red moon rising. On the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Kate is like every Randy Newman song, sounds like Randy Newman. You've And to some extent, that is definitely true. Because I feel like as soon as he starts singing, it's like, oh, Randy Newman, there he is. This sounds to me very much like your quintessential 80s James Horner style soundtrack for a movie. But it is not James Horner. It is very different from James Horner. It does sound like Randy Newman, but not the Randy Newman that I think most people think of if they hear there's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River.
0: Like Randy Newman scores a lot of movies and a lot of them do not have him singing on it. Right. And so he's got these two Separate tracks most people think like sure people got no reason but there's that randy newman <laughs> which is the more popular randy newman but the randy newman that has made his estate is the randy newman that sounds like this
1: He's such a fascinating composer. We could spend quite a bit of time on him. And I do think we're going to return to him in the batch episode, Biggs. I sent this to you and we didn't have much time, but we will get to it in the batch episode, which folks can find if they uh, contribute to the old Patreon there. It's something we're going to have. The article uh, is called The Best There Ever Was in the Game. Musical, mythopoesis, and heroism in film scores of recent sports movies. Timothy E. Schurer describes how Hoosiers, The Natural, and Rudy, two movies that we watched in this batch uh, with Hoosiers, How the soundtracks kind of work together to embody a hero, showing key aspects of the American dream and the American myth of success who is able to regenerate his community through heroic achievement.
0: We'll be right back with Fields of Glory after a quick word from our sponsors.
1: Hey, listener, this is Aaron from Fields of Glory, and I'm sitting here with my co-host Biggs, and we want to tell you that if you've just not gotten enough of all of the wonderful ideas that he and I have to share about movies, have not gotten enough of us talking to people that we know to access their wonderful ideas about movies and other things, well, good news for you, we have a Patreon. We have a place that you can go to get all sorts of really cool content that you can't find anywhere else. Biggs, you want to tell them all the details about what's on there?
0: Yeah, so we have four batch episodes for every three episodes where we do a theme we break it down and figure out how all of them are alike. Yeah, we've got five watch-alongs to the movies for The Karate Kid, Rudy, The Natural, Kingpin, and The League of Their Own, with a couple of guests sprinkled in there. We've got a Lost Zero episode from the original idea of what we were going to do in the show that we had to scrap because it was far too long. Yeah, we've got expanded episodes for Rocky, Rudy, any given Sunday, and He Got Game. We've got a Hot Take, which is a fake sports show that we did back in the day. We've got eleven real roulettes where we picked a movie at random and broke it down
1: wild random chaos
0: (laughs) we've got an episode of Star Trek versus Star Wars where we were comparing the two franchises we've got a that's debatable Superman versus Batman that's a total of 14 original episodes 27 all together with over 28 hours of content so please check out our Patreon page and get all of it spanning all
1: sorts of different movies Biggs and I are interested in sports movies but we like to talk about other stuff too there are just so many cool guests there's so much cool content and you can find it on our patreon page
0: patreon.com slash fields of glory
1: that's patreon.com slash fields of glory go there and make a contribution we are not wealthy people we spend lots of time making the content that might have helped you do your dishes or drive somewhere that was not very entertaining or interesting if you've enjoyed any of our content at all if you want to find more com slash fields of glory
0: so mvp i got roy hobbs For all the reasons we said.
1: A good dovetail because I had uh, Randy Newman for the MVP because the one thing that's pretty hard to pick a bone with is the soundtrack for this movie. It's a simple theme. It works on a bunch of different ways. When it gets big, it's pretty big. It's one of the legacy pieces. The cinematography is big. The music's real good.
0: I'm glad that you brought up the cinematography because that's who I'm giving my six man to. Almost handed it to Randy Newman. Had a feeling (laughs) you would. So I went with Caleb Deschanel, the cinematographer. Honestly, those stadium lights, the way that they do that, it's just one of the most beautiful beautiful things in cinematic history. I don't think that is a stretch to say.
1: That's literally what I put. And I think it's a better said than I could say. So there it is.
0: Billy Zabka, most outstanding villain award. I'm going to go to the judge for trying to tank his own team. And this time no one's pulling off pieces of his clothing to bring the team together to win the pennant. I'm just
1: going to say women, women in general. <laughs> just women just stay away from them keep your eyes off them don't go near them women they'll make you bad at sports if you find the right values and you work hard enough and you keep your hubris in line you can get everything you need out of life be a good dad avoid women this has been brought to you by sarcasm and everyone that quotes me on this is gonna cut this part out that's my answer
0: Black Monday. Pop Fisher, you refused to play Roy Hobbs for a good stretch at the beginning of the season. You were contending with an owner trying to get your ownership stake, so I'll overlook that. And you were dealing with a 35 year old rookie who looked 48. So, once again, understandable. (laughs) I do question exactly what you do for the team, but what am I talking about? You're now the owner of the Knights, so I really have no power over you.
1: I was going to say, you're kind of burying the lead here on old Pops. He's like literally gambling stakes in the team on the performance of the team. And sure, he's trying to like motivate himself to do better. But that seems like a conflict of interest to me. I don't know. It's (laughs) pretty nuts. I think who's got to go? We need a new coach. Sorry, Pops. Go get a cold drink of water literally anywhere else in the city of New York. Because you're not coming (laughs) into the dugout anymore.
0: (laughs) All right, poll question. What is the best fictional professional? Sports team name: The New York Knights from the Natural, Miami Sharks from any given Sunday, South Park Cows from South Park, Springfield Isotopes from The Simpsons, or the Dallas Felons from basketball. For the record, I'm going Dallas Felons. <laughs>
1: I think it has to be the Dallas Felons. I think that's my voice too.
0: We'll be back next week, starting a new block called Family Matters with Bend It Like Beckham. But coming up next, Jonathan and Mark guide a woman who doubts her faith when she's diagnosed with rosacea. Audra Lindley guest stars on Highway to Heaven, coming up next.
1: Hey, mister, what's your name? Roy Yeah! Wait.
0: Check out all the podcasts brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Finally, a podcast that's dedicated to talking about your favorite sports movies. Whether you want to hear a breakdown of the plot, arguments about who's the MVP of the film, or crit and lit about it, you'll find it all on Fields of Glory. Listen to the show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in the podcast Living with your dog. Zack and Matt are two horror movie enthusiasts of varying experience discussing horror movies through the scope of content, context, and comedy. They'll hit on the good ones and the classics, but they're really excited for the bad ones. Listen to Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project.